Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hope everybody's doing well today. I want to welcome Stanfield Gray to the Unimpressed podcast today. And uh, I'm unimpressed that I didn't know there was a tech community in the South. And you've been building this tech community in the South for the past 10 years. And uh, welcome to the show, Stanfield Gray. Thanks, John. Glad to be here. And yeah, 10 years ago, I was going to launch a tech summit loosely modeled on Ad Age Digital Conference, South by Southwest, and people laughed at me. They said, you know, there's no tech in the South or it's small or, you know, there's not enough people in the Southeast to pull over to Charleston. And I thought, well, there is, but it's been hidden and it's just, you know, not acknowledged. If you go back in history, actually, Dell computers kind of revolutionized the supply chain on desktop computers. Um, Tim Cook's from Alabama. He leads, you know, pow- most powerful tech company in the world, arguably with Apple. Um, you know, Bezos as oh, let's, well, let's, Texas, st- let's stop right there. Kind of stuff. Yeah. Tim Cook from Alabama. What part of Alabama? I don't know the town. That's a good question. Really? Have to look that up. Really? Yeah, so he, he went to the University of Auburn. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yep. Cheryl Sandberg grew up in Miami. You know, she runs operations for Facebook. So there are all these, you know, powerhouse tech experts and gurus from the region, but they typically all went to Silicon Valley, New York, or Boston, you know, to grow mm-hmm. a company and scale it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, what can we do about that in the South? You know, I was frustrated when I graduated from college. Everybody had to leave here to work at a high level at a major tech company. You know, mm-hmm. there, those opportunities just didn't exist if you grew up in Spartanburg, where I did, or Asheville, or Atlanta, even Charleston. And so fast forward and looking around 2007, 2008, you've got the advent of cloud computing. You've got the launch of the iPhone. And all of a sudden, you know, people can work in different locations, different regions. So the working idea behind Dig South was how do we pull people together from startup ecosystems or tech companies around the region, get them in one place to talk about how they scale, raise capital, how they uh, recruit talent, do all the things required to scale that company. So that was kind of the working model. And, you know, so we weren't pretending that any one city in the region could compete with Silicon Valley for all those assets. But the idea was people in the South like each other. You know, we tailgate, we party, we go to Nashville and Charleston and Miami and people know each other and do business. So in the aggregate, if you put all that together and swirl it into something really interesting, then those companies could scale and grow and succeed in the South, as we like to say. Backing up to that thought process. Now, your story is, uh, where'd you go to college? University of South Carolina. All right. You so went I'm to a Gamecock. Was Gamecock. I won't, yes. I won't hold that against you, okay? Because <laughs> yeah. I'm a big Tar Heel fan, you yep. know? And yep. uh, actually, I dated a girl. Uh, My back. wife's a Tar Heel, so we're oh, house divided. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you do when you got out of college initially? I went to New York, and I interned at Spin Magazine. 
Okay. So I was really into the music scene. You know, I played guitar and a couple bands, and I wanted to be a journalist and get involved in the music music business as well. So I went to New York. Then I ended up coming back to take a job with crazy out of left field curveball, the congresswoman who was running for lieutenant governor. I grew up with her son, knew her well, and she hired me uh, to you know help with press releases and just kind of ra- and I ended up raising money for her eventually and being you know head of the, the fundraising. And, and, and who was this? Liz Patterson. Liz Patterson. Yep. yep. Okay. Amazing woman. She was first uh, female congresswoman from South Carolina, you know, three term. So I worked for her and then I kind of went, well, the politics, maybe not my world here. So I dove back in to grad school, went down to Ole Miss, ended up playing in bands there, working for Living Blues Magazine. And I ended up um, managing a studio called Sweet Tea for Dennis Herring. So Dennis produced Modest Mouse, Buddy Guy, Elvis Costello, Counting Crows, all these bands. So I got involved in that. So you now let's slow that down, right? Right. Now you had obviously an artistic side in the music world. Tell me a little bit about your thought process of your your writing and and music at that time. Obviously, right. we talked about having to supporting yourself and your arti- you know, your artistic mm-hmm. ability of being a musician. You know, how did you straddle that? A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. In this part of the world. Yeah, I mean, John, that's an excellent question. So I was an English major, and I've, I've been writing since I was a kid. You know, I mean, I was just always writing stuff, really obsessed with The Who and Rolling Stones and a bunch of great bands, The Clash. And so I started t- channeling when I was writing into songs and thinking, okay, I like the storytelling aspect. But then when I worked for Dennis and I got in on the, you know, the production side and I'm, you know, recognizing what's happening there, that was exciting to me. The technology was fun. You know, so I liked uh, learning about what board he was using, the type of microphones and, you know, the, how you produce a song and make it, you know, from what it sounds like a demo of a guy sitting in his living room into a massive epic song you can play in an arena. So, you know, as that was happening, the the key thing I think that happened really was Napster. You know, so Napster comes along, people are stealing files and sharing them. And I was sharing them too. And you could tell something big was happening because all of a sudden the record labels are suing the fans and they're suing Napster and they're trying to put up a wall against technology, but technology can't be stopped. You know, Mm -hmm. it just evolves it. Mark Andreessen said software is eating the world. What it already has every, everything we do and touch is technology. So during that period for me, I, it was a revelation like, okay, musicians often were innovative people anyway, or, you know, creatives that got involved in the production and had to use technology to do that. So it's a natural fit. And my buddy, my best friend growing up, played in rock bands, killer musician. He ended up working for um, 
the guy wrote she blinded me with science you know yeah. and um they and they ended up um uh programming ringtones for Nokia uh-huh. And so, you know, he he kind of fell into it. He's he becomes a programmer and a coder and is involved in those sorts of things, you know. So well, for for me there was no separation between art and technology. They they coexist. Like without music, nobody would have bought the iPhone initially, you know, smartphone. It was for all that content, for the video, music, all the cool stuff in it. Mm-hmm. So the tech was enabling creators to share what they what they had. So I'll pause there. Well, if you if you look at that time period of Napster, and a lot of people don't know that, and and, and sometimes things are cyclical, right? Mm-hmm. So at that time when Napster hit that market, there were a lot of labels, right? A lot of labels, yes. And really, the model of labels then to get a record deal was built in numbers, mm-hmm. right? And you know how many people are you bringing in as an established indie artist, right? Right. And that, you know, the labels ran off that model. And if you look now, social media, right, it's about numbers to a talent, uh-huh. right? This was more physical, I guess, in a way. Where were those numbers? Were they on, like, MySpace back in the day or what What was those MySpace, numbers? but people were still paying attention to Billboard, you know, yeah. the records you sold and maybe, maybe how many tickets. But I'm saying, like, to get a deal. Oh, I'm yeah, saying yeah, yeah. to get a deal, sure. to get a deal with one of those labels back then during this Napster time, yeah. they they wanted the labels because I, I was in music videos at that mm-hmm. time. And that was mm-hmm. kind of my start of uh, mainstream, you know, higher production, right? Mm-hmm. We did a music video for Puffy, How Did You Know? And uh, it was, uh, was it, that might have been a little after, that was 2004, Um but seeing some of these labels operate, so there was these mass amount of labels. Napster comes in, creates this technology. They all the labels they shrunk back to like four or five majors, right? Right at that time because of the tech. Yes, yes. So yeah, so everything uh, starts yeah shifting to MySpace and then Facebook and Spotify and you know all these platforms arise. You know Apple Music, yeah, etc. But you know for me like. Well, disruption is always going to blow a hole in in any industry. You know, mm-hmm. when, when tech disruption happens, there are a lot of winners and a lot of losers, and the, the people have to be adaptable. You know, it's it's you know, go back to, uh, I'm sure that you know, people who made wheels for wagons and rode horses were upset when the first car comes along in the Model T, and they've got to adapt. It's it's very similar to what happened in the music business, and they're. And it was painful during that transition, but ultimately, I think it, it empowered more people to create their, you know, their own music, put it out there, control their careers, do what you do, you know, mm-hmm. working with them to build their own numbers, their own case, without needing the label to necessarily do that. The labels are important for distribution, a number of other things, but that today you can you can do it yourself. Fast forward to this day and time, when you look at that, right? Nobody, you know, when Apple got in the game. You know, Apple's pretty much controlling music right now, mm-hmm. I would say, right? So they put up all the big money for the catalogs. I think the musicians didn't think that through. They bought pretty much everything, I think, except, you know, right. like a major catalog. I think uh, the Beatles or something they didn't get. And then they finally, did they finally up getting that catalog? Not sure where it wound up eventually. Michael yeah. Jackson owned it for a while. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when you think about that, the, you know, you, that setup of 
Apple coming in after Napster, the reduction of multiple labels in the industry, it goes back to the big four or five. I can't remember how many there were, right? Now you have, you know, Apple come in, you know, you have all these different levels of tech coming in, buying catalogs, setting this up for this day and time Mm -hmm. to enable someone to produce their own album and deliver their own content, you know, the right way. So if you look at the positioning of labels today because of tech, right, it's positioning to me with like touring, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, where is, where are the labels really, you know, what is their functionality? I mean, from your perspective, understanding tech, where do you see, what is the next wave of transition in the music industry because of tech? What do you mm-hmm. see? Have a vision with that? Um, I mean, it, this is all going to shake out in Web3 and the metaverse and what people think of as that because those things really are kind of nebulous at the minute. They're just, you know, They're just sort of up in the air. But NFTs are obviously, I think, an important step in that direction where an artist could turn a song into an NFT. You know, they could use the blockchain to kind of better track where the royalty is going and, and eliminating middlemen and trying to eventually direct the, the funding back to themselves. So it's an incredible time for creators. But of course, big incumbents, big players have a lot of turf to protect. Mm-hmm. And they're not just going to give that up willingly. So, mm-hmm. you know, your major labels and your platforms, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, they're not just going to willingly say, yep, blockchain one, you guys have decentralized it. We're out. Yeah. No, they're going to, they're going to, you know, dig in and find out, find out how they can, you know, kind of acquire so they can remain relevant, but how can they get in that game? You know, mm-hmm. how can, and you'll probably see one of these platforms transition like an open sea has, you know, with NFTs, except specific to music. And specific to certain genres, and they'll figure out how do we cut these deals, how do we gobble up enough artists to make you know something something that the general public understands because the general public's not going to visit two hundred websites for their mm-hmm. music. You know, we're not going to go. Oh, you know, I want to see these videos. We're going to go to fifty different platforms. It's all going to shake out, and and there'll be a, a new version of YouTube, for example, for you know music videos or whatever that is. Um, but I think that the the important part of the blockchain and the NFT and the technology space and tokenizing things is giving the fans something that they can carry around with them in a digital wallet, show off and share that they're part of that tribe. This is my community. Tokenizing. We should we yeah. should trademark that. Tokenize. I think yeah. it's uh, – to- Write that down. Tokenizing. <laughs> We're going to trademark that. Right. It might already be trademarked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that's the way I see it is there – you know, a lot of people are exploring DAOs or, you know, decentralized autonomous organizations where people own it themselves as a group. You know, we'll see if that can really function that way or if it requires more centralized authority and leadership to make it work. You know, mm-hmm. we've all tried to you know, have too many cooks in the kitchen or see what it's like when you let 20 people make all the decisions. It's a lot harder than two people, three people, one person. Yeah. And so I've got, I'm rambling here, but I think it's right now it's, it's like 1999, 2000 for the internet, except it's exploding into another area that's more blockchain NFT focused. Well, that's what, you know, I jumped ahead on the timeline here, but that's kind of what I was trying to, um, say was the Napster, the whole Napster thing shook up the industry, right? You had that whole whole deal. 
So now you have, you know, tech came in, bought all the music. Now we're at another crossroad of that kind of world, right? And it's right. going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. So backing up to your timeline, mm-hmm. right, and just getting in your head a little bit, what is your thought process in life mm-hmm. at this point in your career? Mm, great question. So I think it's pretty similar to when I launched Dig South in a way is that I was always in, interested in the novel or the new and what's happening and the intersection of art and technology, you know, cause to me, they, they coexist in this way that can't really be separated at this point. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I got into dig South in, in a way where I was running the first mobile app for the college of Charleston. So I led that project. It was a walking tour. We put it together We put it on that, you know, Apple store in like 2009, I think 2010, 11, I had the idea for dig South and we launched it in 2012 in that summer. And so you but your, your framework, I'm saying if we went back to, you know, you went from to uh, spin magazine, right? Liz Patterson. Yep. Right. And then you're, you're with who again? What was the guy's name? Sweet tea, Dennis Herring, Just Dennis yeah. Herring. Okay. You didn't know about dig South then, right? Yeah. You didn't. So right. what was going through your head then and where you wanted to take yourself being this, right. you know, creative, uh, intelligent type of personality. Then that day, my dream was be a songwriter and make enough that I can play venues and tour myself, but have other people cover those songs or invest in them in a way that, you know, brings in plenty of royalty revenue. So I was still wanting to be in that game. And, but it was so difficult to make any money. And that whole industry was just imploding at that time, mm-hmm. you know, and, and actually I got paid in 2012, 2013, I got paid. Well, no, sorry. 2005 to 2015, when I, I used to write a lot of articles and reviews, the pay went down over you know, a 10 year period because magazines were dying, you know, mm-hmm. the rise of Facebook, social media and everything else, all the ad revenue was gobbled up by Google and Facebook. And so magazines died, newspapers died, re- record labels were getting crushed by Spotify and Apple. And so, so great, yeah. great writer. Yeah. But, English. Right. And then, right. and then this, you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. I'm running out of room here. Yeah, and so, right. so, but but I like I thrive on you know adapting and chaos and all that. I think it's exciting, it's fun mm-hmm. to me. It's not threatening to my environment or my job or whatever because I just say, well, I'll just go run toward that, and see what happens. It seems interesting, it's cool. You know, I, I don't like fight against it. Mm-hmm. So that's always been my position is like you know just lean into whatever the disruption is, whatever's interesting. That word's overused, but whatever's happening, evolving with technology, music, the arts. Just keep following where the fire is. You know, there's all there's some heat around it. And then, you know, I'm a convener of people at Dig South. So how do we get all of these, you know, communities together through our Dignation, our member group, through Dig South Tech Summit, and bring in the innovators, entrepreneurs, founders, the the VCs backing it, funding it. Put them all together and let them figure out where the magic is and what's happening. So that's mm-hmm. that's been my role in the last ten years is bringing people together. But now I'd like to do build some platforms, find some ways, some things to do around that kind of that that center, that culture we've created, and just and explore what's happening in Web three. So the you know you're writing a lot, you know, and then what led you to College of Charleston? Um, so I moved to Charleston to play in a band and I was doing that, met my wife, fell in love with her. She was, um, she had launched a publishing company. She had a referral based directory for women called little black book. 
the little black book for every busy woman. And so LBB was franchised to seven other cities. And I was trying to make a go of it playing music and just taking side jobs at the Halsey Institute. I worked for the city of Charleston running uh, you know, contracts for Piccolo Spoleto. I did operations, farmer's market. So I'm just like your normal, your typical artist trying to do anything to survive while I'm trying to play, you know, write music, playing the mm-hmm. band. So entered the College of Charleston. It was a good opportunity to do PR, to write for them, get involved in projects. And, but I really wanted to move out west. To San Francisco, where everything was happening, blowing up. You know, all these companies were, were on the rise, and it was exciting. But Sunny had franchised her business, and it was doing well. And we thought, and we loved Charleston. We thought this is an incredible place, but I couldn't make enough money here. So she said, uh, "You know, wh- I'm not going to move out there if you're just going to wait tables and you know that kind of thing and try to figure it out. Only if, if you're, the opportunity is greater than what we have here." So I couldn't land that job, and then the set the tech bubble burst in 2001, 2002. Nobody was hiring the same way. It actually would have been the right time to be there because you're yeah, in the mm-hmm. middle of all of the new stuff coming. But you know, we didn't, and I'm very glad we didn't because we laid down roots here in Charleston. It's an amazing place. I love being in the South. And Dig South was my attempt to pull in Silicon Valley and Boston and New York and, and make a version of that in the Southeast where – I could help people find the, you know, we break it down to content, contacts, and capital opportunities. You know, how could I help them do those things? So we create our own little version of of tech. And, and why should it all go to the West Coast? Why shouldn't we do our own thing and be inspired here? Absolutely. I mean, how long were you at College Charleston? I was there for t- about 10 years. About 10 years. Yeah, almost And, and then years. This, this seed idea started there, right, of Dig South? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was a combination of all the things I was interested in. So, sure, I was running the mobile app. They sent me to the Ad Age Digital Conference in New York. Yeah. I looked around, and, and you know, Ariana Huffington was the closing keynote. She was just about to sell HuffPost. Uh, Dennis Crowley, I think his name is, who founder of Foursquare. Jim Bankoff, who ended up being – is now chairman and CEO of Vox Media. He was there. I connected with him. He ended up being a speaker at Dig South years later. So I saw this and I thought, you know, this is coming. This wave is coming to the South. And, it, and you know, people aren't just aren't aware of it yet. So mm-hmm. when I pitched the idea of doing Dig South in Charleston, you know, to people and went around and shopped it, I, I said, you know, the people who got it realized, yes, I can see it. I'm holding it on my phone. And everybody, there's a new app every day of the week, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, out of that, I was frustrated in my, my current job because it's a great place to work. But for me, I, I was, I'm an entrepreneur. I wanted to build other things and do things outside the scope of my job. And the job was great, but, it, you know, it, it has a narrow scope, scope, scope and it's well-defined. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to today, and I'm, you know, become good friends with the president of the college for Charleston. He's a, a strong supporter of Dig South, invited us to bring it back on campus. We have a great relationship with the Gellyard Performing Arts Center where we've also hosted Dig South. So, you know, we've been able to maintain those ties and build them into something much bigger, you know, beyond my original vision. I think everybody, everybody, and I always, I think I say this a lot on a couple of my podcasts, everybody has the same sensitivities, mm-hmm. right? And some of these cliches, you know, that I think people anticipate in different parts of the country, to me, are kind of naive to what someone can accomplish anywhere in the country or anywhere in the world, right? Right. And we discussed that a little bit, and I think the South has realized that cliches don't really matter, right? And you are 
I told you this is something I think is like was way ahead of the thought process, right? Mm-hmm. You didn't know when you did start this thing, this pandemic was going to hit, right? The pandemic hit, unfortunately, and now we're coming out of this pandemic and, mm-hmm. you know, there's different things settling and now you look, you know, you now you're a smart guy. Well, I mean, what? I, <laughs> I, I don't know about that, but I'm, you know you know, I mean? yeah, I'm doing my thing. Yeah. I mean, what's exciting to me is, um, I would kind of, I guess I would call it the undiscovered South or like you're saying, you know, if you go beneath the cliches, so we all love barbecue, you know, we love football. I love cowboy boots. I love the South. I love all those things, but that's just one layer. And beyond that, there's a whole lot of people doing really cool, creative things with technology that are, you know, dreaming up new novel ideas, whether they've got, you know, building e-commerce platforms for their business or they're you know doing things on social media like you are and launching their own podcast. There's all this stuff happening beneath that layer that is, I think, a new day for the South. You know, there there are a lot of forms of music, there are a lot of different ways to approach you know technology to approach scaling your business. That you Mailchimp just sold for fourteen billion dollars, founded you know there in Atlanta. A, you know, fantastic platform. And those things are often talked about in the business context of the mm-hmm. business community, but that's also the culture of the South. Those people are working, you know, Magic Leap was in Florida for a while. They're working on metaverse and virtual reality and mixed reality. So, you know, these things are happening in, in Epic Games, you know, is based in Raleigh, Durham. And uh, people love Epic and play, you know, many of their, their different game brands and um, their multi billion dollar company. So that's also the South. To mm-hmm. me, you know, that's a, that is a really important facet that I think when people say, what's the South? And then you, you, you know, nationally, they'll say, oh, shrimp and grits or barbecue and all this stuff. And those things are awesome. I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying that there's another layer of creativity, technology, outside the box thinking, different ways of approaching it that often uh, that, you know, are happening here in, in towns all over the South that don't, aren't looked at through the same lens or we're not given the credit for that. Well, I think you can do anything you want to do if you have the right mindset. I don't yeah. think it matters where you're at. I think it's creating, you know, we talked about creating a culture, right. You know, and how we could integrate what we do from a tech, from a tech conveying a tech approach, but through, you know, yeah. and with entertainment and we're, we're trying to figure that out as well. And, there's companies, there's other companies that are coming to Charleston too. There was, you know, you told me to go check out, uh, what is the, uh, Park Circle, mm-hmm. right? What is the company out there? And there's some kind of, uh, tech company that set up shop out there in North Charleston. What was that company? I'm you're thinking talking? of that one. I don't know. I mean, Boomtown is, you know, on the Upper Peninsula, but not, yeah. and not in Park Circle. Um, or there's one in Daniel Island too, and there are a couple of companies over there. What yeah, are yeah, there's you- several small shops, you know, both places. I, the name's escaping me at the moment, but I, I know what you're talking about. I mean, if I strip it all all down, you know, really for me, it's like, well, my kids grow up. It'd be cool if they could stay in the region if they wanted to and scale mm-hmm. a company, or if they want to move somewhere else. Uh, that's that's fine. Yes, you know, it's, it's their their future. But it would be awesome if they had opportunities that I didn't have as a mm-hmm. kid where we had to leave if you're going to work at a you know, high level at any of those other companies. So that's kind of what it comes back to for me. You know, how do we, and, and we're not exclusive to the South at all. The yeah. idea is let's make the world come to us now instead of yeah. us always having to go out into the world you know, to grow that company or find the funding or, or the talent. 
Let's make them come here and do business with us. And and if you if you live in the South, this is something to think about. And we, you know, and this talk about cliches and limiting your thought process. Right. Right. We talked about your daughter, daughter, mm-hmm. Stella. Right. She's an amazing artist. Right? right. And, you know, mom and dad, in a way, in the South, hey, we got to, you know, how does that translate to economics? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's the initial thought. I mean, people in the South are. You know, they're very like my parents are very, you know, blue collar won't a, you know, your life should be A, B, C, D. Right. You yes. know, so I think yeah. if you live in the South, sometimes there's a overbearing thought process of that. Yes. On how, yeah, how yeah. to make money and so forth. So you talk right. about your daughter, Stella, being a, a great artist. And I said, you know, mom and dad's initial thought process is what kind of job is she going to get? But maybe. She dives deeper into her passion in this day and time with things like NFTs and creating a brand for herself, being an artist. I think that's it. Yeah, I think sometimes we're trapped by our traditions in the South into what you just – you nailed it. It's a fixed mindset. Yeah. So, you know, you lock things into their little box or their column, and you say, well, I've got to work within that framework. But the scope of that's infinite. It could be whatever you want it to be. You know, Mm -hmm. so just trying to pass that along to her to dream a lot bigger. You know, don't accept what people are saying. This has to be that necessarily. I mean, be mm-hmm. wise about it. Smart. Don't make crazy decisions, but be open to infinite possibilities. Mm-hmm. You have an event coming up uh, May eleventh uh, through May thirteenth, and uh, we're actually putting on a comedy show there May twelfth. That's right. Right. So that's going to be a lot of fun. So tell us a little bit about what you got going on. Who's committed? Uh, to come into the event and who's the speakers and so forth right now in the game. Yeah. So it's real early in our, as we book speakers, but May 11th through the 13th will be dig South tech summit at college of Charleston TD arena. And so, you know, we're bringing in Robert Tursick. He was the very first keynote speaker we had 10 years ago. He is a leading expert in digital media. He launched one of the first video streaming platforms. He was the president of digital media for the own network, Oprah's network, worked for Sony before that in digital media, MTV in the early days. And so Robert is a really dynamic thinker. He's going to take us deep into Web3 and what that looks like what the pitfalls are, where, where the promises are, the opportunities. Then we're going to have Jay Bailey. He runs the largest entrepreneurship center, the Russell Innovation Center in Atlanta. He works with black entrepreneurs, make sure they get their opportunities and, and focus on different ways for them to raise capital and, and find, you know, assets and, and you know, whatever, whatever it takes through that accelerator program to succeed. So Jay's got a great story to tell. Then we're booking a lot of people who, who are well-versed in blockchain, NFTs, fintech, health tech. Um, We'll be looking at social media, influencers, you know, all the things related to emerging technology in the digital economy. Many of those topics we'll cover. But our tracks are emerging technology, scalable business, and digital marketing. You know, so things fit under those umbrellas. Um, We'll be two and a half days. We're bringing back comedy this year, which is awesome. We had Dusty Slay. And uh, the second year of Dig South, and we used to have a lot more entertainment. We're going to infuse that back into the programming, make it a lot more dynamic with Bang Productions. So we're super excited about that. And what, um, as far as we talked about, like uh, you said something about conveying programming, 
right? Was that what was that discussion we had? We're talking about programming your thought process that you see in the tech world. Well, I, I think we were touching on maybe cross pollination, and mm-hmm. you know, my belief that some like there are conferences that are very specific to a single industry. You know, I'm going here because it is about advanced manufacturing, or this mm-hmm. is only about digital marketing, or this one over here, it's only about pitch events. You know, start. You know, in my mind, we try to take a kind of a generalist approach to this, invite people from those multiple industries with the key kind of interlocking part of it being that they're scalable businesses and they're all you they're either tech businesses or tech enabled which almost everyone is tech enabled today but because they're coming from all these different perspectives different backgrounds they will they will share ideas with each other they'll find talent in unique ways that they weren't considering before they'll form unique partnerships they'll they'll do business find clients so that to me and that comes from my music background too you know you put it different people together. This guy plays jazz. This guy plays techno. This guy plays alt country. Sometimes you cook up the most, you know, unique, interesting thing that you, you wouldn't have thought of otherwise. And I, I think creatives, that's natural to creatives, you know, mm-hmm. filmmakers, musicians, they, they realize that genres are just manufactured ways to sell things. You know, that that's the business side of it. Genres mm-hmm. don't really exist to people who dive out deep down into a creative process and, you know, try to reveal something cool and new and interesting. So with Dig South, I try to do that in a little little way by mixing creatives with very you know, strong business types with VCs. And I think that mixture is a lot more interesting, combustible, and fun than just a, any kind of single conference model. Well I, well, I mean, that's that's another thing that's interesting if you live in the South, too. said that Silicon Valley and Hollywood did not communicate. Now, and you know, in the South, to some extent, that you know, creatives didn't communicate with brick and mortar, or what we would consider brick and mortar, or you know, an established business, right? So now you're seeing a mesh of you know a, a high level company uh, integrating creative, mm-hmm. right? You're seeing that more, and that's kind of what. I caught with your narrative yes. in a way because, you know, and you still making music today, you know, and, and still having that creative process. But, you know, intertwining that in an intelligent way in the tech world, I think, is very interesting to me and is what I caught on diving deeper. When I, uh-huh. you text me or whatever, I said, I want to dive deeper right, uh, into uh-huh. what you're doing. And that was my, my overall takeaway. Uh-huh. And we haven't discussed that yet, but. I didn't know that when I first met you. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of, you know, in a lot of old guard industries with magazine publishing and newspapers or radio, you know, people only had two or three ways to get their message out, and they would have to follow those channels, and they'd have to follow that formula, and they were just put in the box. But today, a lot of people who run businesses, they they have their own in-house creative, their own you know studio, they have their own social media channels, they can they've got a blog, they can get those messages out, they can frame it and be creative with it, and that opens the door for what you're describing, where con where creators are collaborating with brick and mortar, with traditional businesses, and they're just just you know, creating their own it studio. Well, that's one thing we've discovered, and it's kind of like when I got into comedy, you know, reverse engineered the whole comedy industry on how we did business, because everything that I did was completely opposite of industry. And I kind of went in, and when I looked at the, the landscape in the comedy world, to me, they were 
the way they operated was somewhat of a dinosaur operation, which gave me a big opportunity, right? Right. So now, and you talk about marketing, we, we're moving into this B&B model and looking at some of these professions and, and me getting hearing the response of some of these professionals that we've worked with and looking at this industry, this digital marketing piece in some of these dinosaur professions, they don't, they have no idea. I mean, I think there's a huge upside there because the education and capabilities are not known by these professions. Right. Right. Yes. And it's a big learning curve, but I do see a big opportunity for someone like us getting mm-hmm. into that space with a B&B model and using this creative process that I used in comedy, mm-hmm. using it with, uh, you know, a, a profession that's been around for 50 years. I think there's a big upside to that, and I think that uh, translates to what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, all those cycles repeat, you know. So in 2000, the first startup I was involved in, we were just building websites for people here in Charleston, and we had this idea for a mini disc that was going to be, we called a digi business card. So we'd videotape you, you'd do a testimonial, we'd put it on the disc, print the name, you'd hand them out, but nobody had a player for the disc. YouTube didn't exist, and, you know, and so the whole, and people couldn't understand on King Street why you needed a website. They said, "Oh, everybody just picks up the city paper. Or they read, you know, they, there's a guidebook. We don't need a website." Well, we just thought that was crazy, you know. Where other parts of the country, you know, had already gotten it. So fast forward to today, same kind of same sort of mindset. People are saying, "Ah, man, well, I don't know what this Web three thing is, or Metaverse, or NFTs. I don't need to pay attention to that." And maybe they don't for now, but we can come in and help them explore that, look at it, think about it, and they're going to need it in five years, eight years, ten years, or they're going to get left behind if they haven't paid attention to what's trending and what's evolving. And some other business is going to come along that understands that and gets it is going to steal all their business if they're not paying attention to the evolution of technology. Yeah, and I think you have to be open-minded, too. I mean, if you're out there in your old school, right, right. you know, whatever it is, just be open-minded because you have you're to somewhat you're going to have to deal with it. Yes. To some extent yeah. in your life, whether it's you personally, whether it's your kids or whatever. So I think you have to be open-minded and and mm-hmm. really dive deep and see where those things go to determine what the outcome is going to be. Mm-hmm. You Absolutely. know, at the end of the yeah. day. Yeah, I mean, I have deep respect for businesses that started as a mom and pop and are old school and legendary and have been in the South for 50, 100 years. But if they're around that long today, they probably are, are having a more open mindset. You know, they're, they're hiring people or bringing in groups that can help them understand what's happening as technology evolves, as new you know platforms arise, how to transition to an e-commerce platform, for example, how to use Shopify to do that, something like that. So, yeah, just keeping that open mindset. Is, is the way to go. And maybe our epiphany moment is is maybe that's what you can hang your hat on is, you know, us wanting to create a mini Hollywood here, mm-hmm. you know, where the scales are smaller because we're delivering to a different type of distribution, right? But right. it's still entertainment. It's still content. Yep. And looking at, you know, the epiphany moment for you, I think, is looking at these brick and mortars and, and – how do they integrate this new technology that they never have before mm-hmm. to make their business grow exponentially and be a leader in their profession? Yeah, and I think many of them realize that today. And you know, I think the cat's definitely 
out of the bag, so to speak. But um, yeah, the opportunities are are interesting and new again, more exciting right now, I think, than they have than they were say five years ago. Just mm-hmm. I think that the technology has evolved to such a place that there's so much hype. Sure, you know, a lot of businesses are going to fail. A lot of people are going to lose a lot of money around crypto and around you know blockchain based products. Because that's the way it always happens at the beginning of a new technology, and they'll be, and but they'll keep figuring it out, and it'll keep evolving, and the real stuff will separate, and it'll, it'll it will elevate, you mm-hmm. know. And so, people who follow that and, and stay on board will do fine. Their businesses will will do well. May eleventh, May thirteenth, right? TD Arena. Yes, that's uh, College of Charleston's gymnasium. That's right, DigSouthTechSummit.com or DigSummit.com. Both URLs will will get you there to the info. Walk us through the convention, like mm-hmm. the eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth. What's so it through each the, day? Yeah, so May eleventh, opening night, we do a party called Upload Charleston. It's sponsored by Charleston County Economic Development. It'll be on the yard of the what's called the Cistern Yard at the College of Charleston. It's a spectacular. Probably the most beautiful spot on the peninsula that's not on the water. You know, framed with ancient oaks. The building's 200 years old. And we're going to have a ton of really cool projection mapping and lighting and make it interesting, fun way for everybody to fly into town, meet and greet. Get up the next day. We have sessions all day on the 12th in emerging technology, business growth, digital marketing. Uh, people do deep dives into that, <laughs> keynotes, panels, workshops. Um, we'll close the day with, with a great happy hour on site, and then we'll have, roll into a comedy show, Bang Productions. Get up on Friday, May 13th. We'll have the sessions again, and then we'll have two pitch events. So one pitch event is an open call, startups from all over the South, uh, multiple different industries. The other, the other one will be more focused on fintech, NFTs, blockchain uh, developed platforms. So we'll have those two pitch events. Then we'll close on that Friday afternoon. And that's a wrap. You just recorded an album, right? I was like, who's this 25 year old kid singing this, this song? It sounded like a young, a young yeah. beat. You want to tell us a little bit about this music you just recorded. And I said, you should put more of that personality mm-hmm. into your you know, event, dig south. Yeah, I mean, I've always had like kind of a fearless stage, you know, uh, personality or persona that I'm, you know, I love to get up there and play and perform, write songs. In this case, you know, I hadn't played in years, you know, been several years and uh, the pandemic hits, we're all locked up. I was super bored and I called this friend of mine, Gary, who I knew played guitar, but I'd never jammed with him. So he and I and another friend of mine, Mark Davis, Gary Christmas, we just started playing random songs and then and then you know, we started i wrote a couple and i had one that i'd never recorded co-wrote one with gary mark contributed and then we went into a studio with matt zutel coast records here in charleston and just banged them out with him with matt on drums and just kind of put it out there but a lot of it was just like ah what are we gonna do this pandemic sucks you know yeah. we gotta get get something creative going and yeah. and really it, it like got me back in the game so my chops are back i'm playing a lot having fun we're gonna book some gigs and i haven't done that in you know seven eight years and where would you? What would you classify your music as? Where would you put that? I would just call it rock and roll. I mean, I just yeah. feel like that—that's what it is. You know, I mean, there are a lot of subgenres in that. You know, we sometimes we play Americana kind of stuff. Other times, something like David Bowie or you know even Stone Roses, a little yeah, kind of nineties psychedelic rock. There's psychedelic tinges to it, but it's rock and roll. Well, if you're out there and check out uh, Stanfield Gray, what do you what do you go under on the music side? 
what is the this band's called soundcraft soundcraft all right well one thing i i picked up on in that is check out soundcraft stanfield gray's music uh the writing and the, the some of the intelligence in the writing and and what was being said i think was was interesting thank you Right. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have a crazy mind. You know, never know where it's going to go. <laughs> but I said, Stan, you got to translate <laughs> yeah. that to dig south. Yeah. That should yeah. be your look, you know, and so forth. Mm-hmm. So check that out. And cool, man. We should do this. We should do a tech checkup, mm-hmm. some type of tech checkup with the Unimpressed Podcast more often. I you love know, it. Maybe we I love do. The maybe tech we check. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we do uh, do it once a month or something like that. Yeah, like check your head, check your tech. Yeah, <laughs> tech check. There you go. We, we need to trademark that, too. Cool, cool. Well, I appreciate you come talking yep. to us. Look forward to what the future may bring for us, mm-hmm. you know, hooking up. And, uh, yeah, this is uh, Stanfield Gray, and I'm John Edmonds Cosma, the CEO of Bang Productions. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. appreciate it. 